Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for um, your word that we will look into today and uh, the, the character that we will, that we will study. Uh, we thank you for, uh, for their life and the example that, that they had for us. And uh, we just ask that you would bless our time together and help us to, uh, to speak to our, our hearts here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm, um, does anybody know who I'm talking about today? And I haven't said anything, so I just wondered if anybody has looked at a schedule and, and you know who I'm going to talk about. Okay, good. I wanted the first two or three minutes to be a secret. And then I have a quiz. I'm not kidding. I have a written quiz. Okay? So I'm going to ask a couple of you guys to help me pass these out in a few minutes. <laughs> like, is it too late? <laughs> okay. Well, according to Social Security records and census data, the most popular girl's name in the last 100 years is the name Mary. Uh, Mary, or forms of Mary, such as Maria, uh, has been the most popular name in the whole Western world, actually, and some countries in the Eastern world. And as I said, in the U.S., it's been number one for the last hundred years, and Mary beats the closest competition more than two to one. And I found it interesting to see number two on the list. Number two on the list was Patricia. Congratulations, Tricia. <laughs> You're number two on the list. <laughs> More than likely, the popularity of the name is due to the legacy of Jesus' mother, Mary. And many women have been named after... Uh, more, women, more women have been named after Mary more than anyone else. So this gives you a clue as to who we're going to study today, correct? So who do you think we're studying today? Nope. <laughs> we're not studying Mary and we're not studying Patricia. Uh, we're not studying any of the other Marys in the Bible, actually. We're not studying Jesus' mother. We're not st studying Mary Magdalene, not Mary of Bethany, who was the sister of Lazarus and Martha, not Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, not Mary, the mother of John Mark, not the Mary of Rome that's mentioned in Romans 16.6. None of those Marys are we studying. Our subject today is the person who Mary was named after. All of these Marys in the Bible, who were they named after? Because there were a lot of them. Mary was a popular name even then, not just for the last hundred years, but for thousands of years, and even 2,000 years ago. And beyond that, Mary has been a popular name. The Greek rendering of Mary's name is Miriam. Now you're getting a hint. Miriam. Mary was named after Miriam, Moses' big sister. And that's our study today, is Miriam, a woman that was used by God in a very special way. And uh, we have this quiz. So I, let me have a couple of guys, maybe a guy from over here, and, and there's Jim, and to, uh, to, pass some, to pass these out to everyone. There you go. And I will just give you... Well, uh, I'll give you a couple of minutes. There are 20 questions. There are 10 questions on the front and 10 questions on the back. 
And um, I'm just going to give you a minute to, uh, to, to just race through these. If you're sitting with somebody who you want to uh, um, cooperate with, cooperative learning is a real big deal in education these days. And so if, if you... <laughs> ben, Sh- ben Jones says, let's call a spade a spade. This is cheating. <laughs> so if you'd like to help each other out, feel free. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling a little bit more competitive and you want to see if you can get the best of the person next to you, that's fine too. And after I've given you a minute or two to, to do these, um, I'll proceed with the lesson, and I will give the answers to these questions as we go through the lesson. The, 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 the questions, I believe, are in the order. I'm hoping that they are in the order of my lesson. So you'll, you'll, pick, up little, you'll pick up the answers to these questions uh, as I go through the lesson. So I'll just give you a few minutes uh, to to answer these, and then we'll proceed. Okay, we will go ahead and proceed at this point. If you're not finished, that's okay. As I said, we're going to hopefully give you all the answers to these questions as we proceed in the lesson. And uh, if if you missed it or if I missed it and you really just wanted it, then just, you know, toodle on up here after class say, what was the answer to number 12? Or maybe maybe we'll have time at the end and you can raise your hands. I didn't get this one. Um, and we'll, we'll, proceed from, uh, we'll proceed from there. Well, we, um, as you noticed, uh, it's hard to talk about Miriam without talking about Moses <laughs> and considering Moses. Uh, that's a, a, a huge part of our lesson today is not only looking at Miriam's life, but also sharing information about Moses, her little brother. And, and so a, a big chunk of this lesson will be focused on Moses as well as Miriam. In the, at the end of Genesis, we covered, remember last week we uh, talked about Joseph. And at the end of Genesis, we read about Joseph's last days. And God had exalted Joseph to a prominent position there in Egypt. The Hebrew people were shown favor uh, in Pharaoh's sight. They grew from a family of 70 initially there in Egypt to a nation numbering hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of of people. And when the book of Exodus opens, it's 350 years later. So we have the end of Joseph's days and the end of the book of Genesis. Exodus opens up um, with the story of, uh, of Moses and, and the deliverance of the people, <clears throat> and it's 350 years later. Joseph was meaningless to the Pharaoh of the times, 350 years. He maybe never even heard of him, or if he did, he didn't care about who, who, uh, who Joseph was. And uh, his concern was the, the greatness of the Hebrew population. They were large in numbers, hundreds of thousands, as I said, possibly millions in Egypt. And there was a fear that the Hebrews could, could rise up uh, against Egypt and possibly side with, a, with another uh, a neighboring country such as Ethiopia and overtake Egypt. And so the Hebrews were made slaves and were, were afflicted with hard labor. That, you're probably thinking, wow, you sound like the Ten Commandments move, uh, movie at that point. And uh, where's Charlton Heston? <laughs> and all that, and we all remember the movie, but the the Bible uh, uh, narrative is better. 
The goal, of course, was to slow the growth of the population, make them slaves, put them under hard labor, um, and uh, put them on a task of building all these great things in Egypt and slow down the growth. A lot of them will die under the hard labor. They won't be able to, to populate as much. And, of course, we know what happened. The population grew even faster. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> that didn't work. Now what? So a new pharaoh came to power, and he dealt with the problem with uh, uh, telling the Hebrew midwives, the, those ladies who would, older ladies who would help with uh, the birthing of the babies, they, would, uh, they were to kill any Hebrew boy that was born. If a Hebrew boy was born, the midwife was to kill that baby. That didn't work either. Uh, the midwives, basically, they were Hebrew midwives, and they just said, we're not going to do this. <laughs> no way. When they were called on the carpet, what's going on? Their, their excuse was, well, uh, the Hebrew women are so strong, they give birth before we can get to them. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen, that uh, your patient gave birth before you could get to him in the back of a cab or something. But, but basically that was the excuse that the, the midwives gave is Hebrew women are strong. They give birth before we can get to them. We, you know, sorry, <laughs> couldn't kill them. And so uh, uh, Pharaoh said, well, then if a Hebrew boy is born... Whoever sees this baby first, throw him into the Nile River. Any Hebrew baby is to be thrown in the river. If any citizen, Hebrew or Egyptian, knows that, it, knows that a Hebrew baby boy was born there to be th- cast into the Nile. And so this was a national declaration that anybody had the right to do that, to kill that oldest baby. And so this was, uh, this was pretty harsh uh, for the Hebrews. Well, at, at this point, Miriam and her family come into the story, come into this picture. Her family, uh, the family of Miriam from the tribe of Levi, the Hebrew, um, uh, the, I'm sorry, the father's name of this family, in which Miriam was the oldest child, the father's name was Amram, and his wife was named, I didn't have the wife on the quiz, um, who knows the wife's name? Mom? Mom? <laughs> Jochebed. <laughs> and so we have Amram and Jochebed were mother and father of Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Moses' uh, siblings, her, his older siblings, his older sister, the oldest in the family was Miriam. And then after Miriam was Aaron, and then Moses came next. Uh, no, no, Moses would be the newest addition to the family. Uh, Jewish tradition indicates that while Moses was still in the womb, the father Amram pleaded with the Lord to rescue the Hebrew people from their affliction. Just uh, imagine the agony that he was going through knowing that if this baby was born a boy, he was to be killed. And the affliction that they were under in terms of slavery and what was happening... So he prayed that, uh, that the Lord would rescue them. He, uh, uh, of course, uh, that their baby would be saved. And the, the first century Jewish historian Josephus, Josephus wrote that God did answer those prayers by appearing to Amram in a dream. Okay, this is not biblical. This is Josephus uh, writing this. And 
Josephus is usually reliable. But Josephus wrote that God answered those prayers by appearing to Amron in a dream, promising that his newborn son would grow up to deliver the Israelites from bondage. That yes, you will be delivered, and yes, your son will live, and he will be the deliverer. The Bible doesn't mention these details, but we do read this in Hebrews 11.23. In Hebrews 11.23, the writer says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Uh, The phrase, saw that the child was beautiful, um, meaning they knew that he was meant for something special. Knew that he was meant for something special. And that, uh, and that, of course, was delivering uh, the Hebrews from, from bondage of Egypt. Well, after three months, of, uh, three months after Moses was born and, and finding it difficult to keep this baby hidden, because they had to hide him. If anybody knew that they'd had this baby boy, he was to be killed, thrown into the river. And so they hid him, but as the child grew, it's like, you know, it's, it's tougher to keep this kid under wraps. Uh, he wants to get out and... and, and it, it, it was difficult. And so Jochebed made a small basket or an ark made of, of bulrushes and waterproofed the little ark, the little basket, uh, with pitch. She placed Moses in the ark and set it among the reeds by the riverbank, the bank of the River Nile. It's, it's interesting here that the word ark sometimes is translated basket. The, uh, it's the same Hebrew word that is used to refer to Noah's ark. Uh, just as Noah was spared and his family was spared in an ark, so was the baby Moses, both spared by an ark. And it's also kind of ironic that uh, Moses was placed into a river that was meant for his death, and we find out that that being placed in a river led to his life and the deliverance of the entire nation of Israel. Well, at this point, our subject uh, heroine, Miriam, comes into uh, pretty great importance. The ark was placed in an area uh, that was a bathing area, possibly for some of the, the, the royal family. And uh, Jochebed had hoped that the basket would be easily found as she placed that basket among the reeds close, close to the shore. Of course, there was no way of knowing who would find this basket. There was no way of knowing what they would do with the basket. As soon as they saw it was a baby, you know, who, who, who would know that they would just cast the baby uh, in far into the river uh, to be killed anyway. Uh, they had to have a lot of faith at that point that whoever did find it would hopefully let the baby live. More than likely, uh, Miriam helped her mother make that ark. She had also no doubt heard the prayers of her father for deliverance and for deliverance of this little baby. Miriam observed the faith uh, of her mother and father, and uh, she was no doubt very protective of her little baby brother, the doting older sister. Uh, certainly she developed a great love for this little baby and wanted to protect him just like, the, like her parents had wanted to protect him. And so they placed the basket in the reeds and Miriam stood off at a distance and watched to see what would happen with this, uh, this little baby in this little basket. The Bible doesn't record the name of the princess who found Moses. Scholars have, have, get, have, have made guesses 
Uh, but this princess was used by God to rescue Moses and make it possible for him to be trained in Egyptian learning and culture, eventually becoming, of course, the deliverer of Israel. Uh, the princess saw the ark and asked her attendants to bring it to her. Bring me, what is that? Bring that over to me uh, so I can see what's in there. She opened it up and noticed that it was a Hebrew baby. And it was crying. And the princess had compassion on this little baby. And she sought to console the baby by asking her attendants to bring some nursemaids in to try to nurse this baby and, and console this baby and, and quiet it down. Let's try to take care of this little baby. And the Egyptian nursemaids were unsuccessful. The little baby continued to cry. So Miriam, who was watching from afar and witnessing all this, she took a risk and she decided to go to the princess and volunteer to get a Hebrew nursemaid. Maybe a Hebrew nursemaid would have success in in quieting this baby and consoling the baby. And so Miriam went, of course, and guess who she guess who she found? Her own mother, Jochebed, Moses' own mother, and brought Jochebed to be uh, the person who would nurse the baby. And of course, the baby immediately quieted down and was consoled. Of course, the princess had no clue that this was the baby's real mother, and even that Miriam was the baby's sister. But the baby uh, was quieted, and the, ner- and the princess was pleased, and asked that this Hebrew nursemaid take care of this baby until an appointed time. You take care of this baby, and I'll even pay you wages. I'll pay you the wages necessary over this time period to take care of this baby. And so, how remarkable that God, God's providence is here that uh, the baby would be spared and that his own, Moses' own mother would be, uh, would be the one to take care of the baby. Very remarkable. And, and for our own lives to realize that God is taking care of us just as he took care of these, uh, this situation here. Now, at the appointed time, whatever that means, uh, it's kind of a guess. Uh, the, the thought is probably he was around 9 to 12 years old when he was returned uh, to this Egyptian uh, princess. We don't know for sure, but that would be likely the time frame that we'd be looking at in the 9 to 12-year-old range. So at that time... Uh, he was Moses was brought back to this princess who adopted him as her son, and so as uh, as as Moses was first brought back to the princess, the first thing that she did is adopt him as as a son, and um, and it, it was either that time or when the princess found him that he was named Moses. In the scripture, the the chronology seems to be that when he was brought back, uh, he was named Moses, but. It could have been before also. And uh, it uh, appears as though the, the princess named him Moses. It's a, it's a play on, on words meaning drawn out from the water, which he was. And it's a Hebrew uh, type of name. And so that's uh, some scholars wonder if maybe Jochebed kind of gave the princess a hint like, maybe you should name him Moses. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture just says the princess named him Moses. Uh, but it does mean drawn from the water. He was given a royal education and became learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. This is recorded in Acts 7.22. 
the Lord um, used Miriam, of course, to, as we have just seen, to watch over her brother in a very important way. She was willing to risk her own life going forward to this princess. She could have just been struck down dead. You're a Hebrew lady or young girl. Get out of here. The princess could have easily said, we want nothing to do with you, and why are you coming so close? And ordered her servants to have her killed. And yet the princess listened uh, to to Miriam's uh, advice in in a Hebrew nursemaid. And so she, uh, she played a very key role in keeping her brother alive and uh, even being returned to the family for a time. Um, So her faith, her boldness, was used to deliver Moses uh, so that he could deliver Israel years later. Now, during Moses' time with his family, he would have been taught uh, much about God. He would have learned the ways of the Hebrews, the history of the Hebrews, and, and much, much about the Hebrew faith. As well, of, uh, as, well of, as well as growing very close to his siblings, Miriam and, and Aaron. And so we have this doting older sister, Miriam. We have the brother, Aaron, watching over this little child growing up. The faithful parents making sure that uh, this would be an experience that would influence him throughout the rest of his life. I'm sure it was tough to say goodbye. Imagine those of you who are parents raising a child to 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and then saying goodbye. Uh, that, that had to be a very difficult thing. And yet, he was alive. And also, they had the promise that this is the deliverer. They knew. They, Amra knew what he'd prayed for, for this child. And he knew what God could do just in, in the circumstances of this child being spared in the first place. And so as difficult as it was to say goodbye, they also had this hope and their faith that something huge was going to happen with this boy. And so they said goodbye. And just as Miriam had watched when this little baby Moses was a a tiny infant, now she watched over the years as Moses grew up and grew up in the the Egyptian household of Pharaoh. And she, just as she watched from the shore, this little basket, now she watched and waited, what's going to happen next with my brother? Uh, as he grows into uh, adulthood and becomes a very prominent person in in Egypt. We don't know a lot about his younger days there. Uh, We do know, as as I said in Acts 7.22, that he was educated in the wisdom of Egypt. He was, uh, Acts 7.22 says he was mighty in words and deeds. Josephus records that Moses continued to identify with the Hebrew people. He didn't forget his heritage. He didn't just decide to throw it all away and said, I'm, a, I'm an Egyptian now, forget the Hebrews. Not, didn't uh, do that at all. Uh, many of the Egyptians were actually suspicious of him and looked for opportunities to kill him. Josephus records that even Pharaoh made Moses a general with, uh, the, the, with the, the thinking that maybe this is a way to solve this problem. They were having problems with Ethiopia, and he made him a general and, and basically said, go fight the Ethiopians. And so the thought was, either Moses is going to be successful and defeat the Ethiopians, which is a good thing, or if he fails, the Ethiopians will kill him. And that's a good thing. 
So it was a win-win either way. Well, Moses soundly defeated the Ethiopians and returned the powerful victor, which it was a good thing that the Ethiopians were defeated, but now they were even more fearful of Moses uh, because of this. Exodus 2, 11 through 14 records the, the story of Moses' burden for his Hebrew brothers. He was still a Hebrew. And uh, we know that story of how he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew. And the, uh, the incident was witnessed, and it got to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was bas- basically said, you got to die. And, and Moses was um, put under the penalty of death. And so he fled before anybody could get to him. He knew that, uh, that his days were numbered, and he had to get out of there. And so Moses fled to Midian, and he spent the next 40 years tending sheep and being shaped by God for the task ahead. And uh, he was married during that 40-year uh, period. He, was, uh, he married a Midianite uh, woman. Anybody remember? I don't think this is on the quiz. Here's a bonus question. Who did Moses marry the Midianite woman that Moses married in his 40-year stay there? And uh, did Sandy say it? I'm trying to read Sandy's lips. Zipporah. Yep. (laughs) Zipporah was his wife. Uh, During this time, uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch, (laughs) back in Egypt, Miriam, our subject, also was married. She married a man named Hur, H-U-R, like in Ben-Hur. And so that's who she married. He was a descendant of Judah. And if uh, Josephus' account is true, um, we would, uh, Miriam would have remembered her father's prayer that, that, uh, that God would use Moses to deliver the Egyptians, uh, deliver the Hebrews from the Egyptians. And I'm sure she must have wondered, given the fact that he was in exile, when is this going to happen? It's been years since I've seen my brother. When is this going to happen? He was there 40 years in the land of Midian. And then the current Pharaoh died, which I'm sure would have provoked new hope. Maybe this is the time when we'll, we'll see him come back. Moses will come back. And then it's written that the Lord, in Exodus 4.27, it was written that the Lord instructed Aaron to go into the wilderness and meet Moses. Even more hope. My, my younger brother, Aaron, is going to meet Moses in the wilderness, and maybe something will happen. And it did. And so I'm sure this was a huge blessing to Miriam as she waited for Moses to come back. Aaron and Moses met with the elders of the Hebrews. They spoke to them about what the plan was. They, they performed signs as evidence that the Lord was going to use them to deliver Israel from Egypt. And so I'm sure Miriam would have had great joy that her faith and her hope that there would be deliverance was about to come true. I'm sure that she, along with all, of, all the other Israelites, marveled at the plagues. They, they could marvel because in Goshen, next door, those plagues didn't exist. And so Egypt was, was under these plagues. The ten plagues in, uh, afflicted upon them. And all the Israelites next door in Goshen weren't touched at all. And so I'm sure that must have been uh, something that you just marvel at, that the Lord is preserving us and preparing us 
for deliverance. Miriam and her family would have participated in that first Passover. They would have killed that lamb, killed the lamb, painted the blood on the doorpost, and they were protected then by the angel of death that night. And then they would have woke up with joyful news. We're free. Pharaoh says, leave now. Don't waste any time. Get out. And the Lord led them out using her brothers, Moses and Aaron, out of the country. And then, of course, the, one of the all-time favorite Sunday school lessons, and that is uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And uh, I, I think uh, uh, this is a lesson. I think, Trish, didn't you teach this a, a, a month or two ago? And uh, so this was a Sunday school lesson from a, a few weeks ago. And, of course, uh, a fun visual aid, a fun object lesson is to get a little, a little pool of water and have the kids say, okay, make a path through this water. <laughs> and, you know, take your hand and try to separate the waters. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, it's not going to happen, <laughs> parting those waters. But... Uh, I, I don't know uh, if we can really fathom that. You know, we, we re- read the story, but, I mean, to really just sit and contemplate this huge body of water. Uh, the, they, they say there was a wall of water. That wall of water in the, the biblical narrative, that could they don't say how high it was. It could have been hundreds of feet high. You had two to three million people crossing that over miles. The width of that parting had to be miles wide, I mean, we're not talking about a path that sometimes in our own minds we, we think about the width of this building. No, think miles. <laughs> okay? Bob Collins, think about from here to where your house is. <laughs> think that wide. And it was dry ground. <laughs> and it was dry. <laughs> and they went across. And during that time before that, of course, the Lord had led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then, of course, the um, um, Pharaoh changed his mind and says, on second thought, they were pretty good slaves. Get those guys back here. (laughs) And so he sends the army out uh, to bring them back. And the angel of God protected them. And he put this pillar of cloud between the Egyptian camp and between the Israeli camp. So the angel of God came and the cloud was between them, protecting them as they escaped. And there was another parting. It was a parting of dark and light because on one side of the cloud, on the Egyptian side, it was totally dark and the Egyptians couldn't do anything. And on the other side, it was light so that the Israelis could escape, so that the Hebrews could escape. And so you had another parting, not only the parting of the Red Sea, you also had the parting of dark here and light here, dark keeping the Egyptians at bay, keeping them literally in the dark, not being able to pursue uh, the Hebrews and Israel in the light, making their escape across the sea. Amazing. The Lord delivered the Hebrews and then crushed the Egyptians uh, you, you think they would have figured it out after all those plagues, but they didn't. And so when the cloud had finally lifted and the Egyptians saw that, hey, <laughs> they're escaping, 
They run in after him. Their chariots get clogged. And you kind of, that's what scripture says, is their, their chariot wheels were clogged. And you kind of wonder, you know, how did that happen? It's supposed to be dry land. <laughs> and um, uh, there's a, a section, of, I think it's Psalm 77, maybe, that implies that there, there, there was a storm. And that not only did, were they crushed from the waters falling in, but God also had a storm overhead. And they were not only getting the water from the sides, crushing in on them, but the, the Lord sent a storm on top of them also, probably muddying the waters, clogging up their wheels, and in just total disarray. Exodus then records a wonderful response of Israel and uh, Moses in the hymn of Moses, Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. And uh, if only uh, the Israelites, or if only the Hebrews would have taken those words to heart in that, uh, in that song. Um, uh, but uh, just as the Egyptians had short memory, we know that the, the Hebrews did also. And uh, time after time they were helped, and time after time they disobeyed, uh, as we read in Scripture. Our subject for today, Miriam, we have the song of Moses. Uh, there in, in Exodus 15. And Miriam also had a song of praise afterwards. And um, in Exodus uh, 15, verses 21 and 22, uh, Miriam, uh, after the waters swallowed up all the Egyptians, Miriam and all the women went out and sang this, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Now this is the way I used to sing it when I was younger. The horse and rider fell into the sea. Of course, Scripture says, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. How many of you know that song? Sing unto the Lord for he is horse and rider fell into the yeah. <laughs> So you got to sing that when you, those of us that know the song. And so she had her own song that she led all the women out to sing uh, afterwards. Exodus 15.20 refers to Miriam as a prophetess. She's in pretty good company. She's the first to be given the title of prophetess. And there's only three other, there's only three ladies in the, uh, uh, three other women, rather, in the Old Testament that are given that privilege. Deborah, in Judges 4.4, is given that title. Hulda, which we don't know a lot about, other than the story in 2 Kings 22.14. And Isaiah's wife is mentioned as a prophetess in Isaiah 8.3. The fact that uh, Miriam is even mentioned in Exodus 15, suggests that she played a strategic role in the events of the Exodus with her brothers Aaron and Moses. The Lord spoke through the prophet Micah, noting her prominence, notice, no, uh, noting Miriam's promi- uh, prominence in the events. In Micah 6.4, we read, For I brought you from the land of Egypt, I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses... Aaron and Miriam. And so she definitely played a big role in uh, the deliverance along with Aaron and Moses. We see her uh, uh, leadership as she led the women in that song after the the, uh, Egyptians were crushed. We um, know from that song that she was one who worshipped the Lord with uh, heartfelt emotion and passion. She worshiped the Lord with melody, with tambourines and dancing. She set an example for generations to come. In 1 Samuel 18, 
You read about Saul and David returning from uh, defeating the enemy. And in that verse of 1 Samuel 18.6, you read something very similar about how the women came out and danced with tambourines and sang before the Lord in victory. Uh, uh, the example set by, by Miriam. Uh, it's not surprising that Miriam would display this kind of joy. Eighty years earlier, she had watched the Lord providentially deliver Moses from that little basket, and now, 80 years later, she sees the Lord providentially deliver the entire nation from, from Egypt. And so she had a lot, to be, uh, a lot to be happy about. She was faithful. She was a worshiper uh, of the Lord in, in the proper attitude, to, and she took great joy in the Lord's power, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his, his sovereignty in, in all things. Now, of course, there is the, the bad side, and those of you that know the story of Miriam uh, know that uh, she did have a problem at one point. And I think that we can all relate to this, that in the midst of God's great power, sometimes we just totally blow it, don't we? We totally do the wrong thing, and we display great... The Lord displays his great faithfulness to us, and then we display in return great weakness. We, we've all been there. And uh, Miriam's no exception. Moses was there when he struck the rock and he wasn't supposed to. And because of that, he was banned from going into Canaan. He was banned from going into the promised land. So even Moses had his weakness. In Numbers 12, verses 1 and 2, we read that uh, the jealousy of Aaron and Miriam. In verses 1 and 2, we read this, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, the jealousy of, Hey, we're the, older, we're the older siblings. How come he's getting all the credit? So there was a jealousy thing going on. Uh, probably the doting sister uh, thing was maybe going to her head and thinking, what about me? Why is, why is he getting all the credit here? And the other, other issue is, wait a minute, he married Zipporah, a Midianite. Who's this Cushite woman? What's going on here? Apparently, his first wife, Zipporah, must have died. She must have died, and then he remarried, and he remarried a Cushite woman. Anybody know Cush uh, is in the area of what country? That's Ethiopia. Okay? So that's Ethiopia. So he married an Ethiopian woman. And they weren't happy with that, and they just used that as an excuse for, like, who's this guy? You know, why is he... Uh, well, the Lord heard it. The Lord was not happy because you had basically the, the top three in leadership, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and there was, there was dissension among the ranks. As a... Myself as a leader in the church here, I took great notice in that, in that if your leaders aren't together, if there's dissension in the leadership, there's a problem. That has to be dealt with. And the Lord knew that. We can't have this kind of dissension. And so the Lord dealt with it. And the Lord came up and said, the Lord said, meet me in the tent. <laughs> meet me in the tent. And so Moses and Aaron and Miriam met in the tent. The Lord came upon them in a pillar of cloud and basically said, look, Moses is the guy. He's my spokesman. He's my leader. 
shape up. And uh, scripture records that Aaron repented. It implies that so did Miriam. Chances are that Miriam was the actual instigator of this because she was struck with leprosy at that point. Moses interceded and pleaded with the Lord to, to heal her, and the Lord did. The Lord heard, the Lord heard Moses' prayer, healed Miriam, but because of ceremonial law, she had to stay outside the camp for seven days, even though she was clean and was healed of that leprosy. We don't hear anything about Miriam and, until her death at this point. We would assume that after that incident that she, uh, that she did... Uh, revert to her her uh, better days of of submissiveness uh, to not only the Lord but to to Moses in Moses' God given role, which was made very clear there in that tent meeting. Um, we don't know why that Aaron and Miriam had that compulsion to dissent, but they did. Uh, you know, why do we do that? What are our reasons? Usually, it's pride, and that was probably the reason here. But whatever, the th- whatever she was thinking, the implication in Scripture is that she remained faithful to the Lord and faithful to, to Moses thereafter until her death. She died in the first month of the 40th year. They were, they were of course, uh, commanded to or doomed to wander for 40 years before they could enter into the land. And uh, during that last year, she died the first month of that last year of wandering. Aaron died in the fifth month, and Moses in the eleventh month. And then, of course, upon his death, just a few days later, literally a month later, the Hebrews cross the Jordan and go into the land to capture the land that God had given them. Numbers 20 relates that she died in Kadesh, is where Miriam died. And she was buried there in Kadesh. And the people celebrated her death with a public funeral, followed by 30 days of mourning at that point. Her legacy, Miriam's legacy, can best be seen in the fact that in later generations, her name became the most popular name for Jewish girls, like Mary and all the other Marys. And we know that it continues in different forms to be a very popular name even today. Scholars have drawn parallels between Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Miriam, the sister of Moses. Both were connected to great deliverers, Jesus and Moses. Both watched over these deliverers when as infants their lives were endangered by wicked kings. Both women sang songs of praise to God in response to the deliverance, their deliverance. And God used both women in the unfolding of his plan of redemption. Miriam was a notable woman in many ways. It's uh, no wonder that God did include her there in Micah 6.8, in which Micah wrote, I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Miriam rested in her faith on waiting for 80 years to see her hope realized. Her heart and her worship centered on the glory of God and centered on his goodness. She had the, her, a good attitude in her worship, and that attitude is preserved for us in Scripture in that singing of the, uh, the song that uh, 
she led the other women on the shores of the Red Sea when she, when, when she said and sang, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. This is a wonderful example to us of faith and boldness and also the proper attitude of worship. Um, many, many things that we can take to heart from the life of Miriam. Did we answer all the questions? Does anybody, did anybody miss one? Got him? Hmm? The tribe. The fact that the brother was Aaron is a big hint. Levi. Okay, the tribe of Levi. Any other questions? Did we get them all? Okay, now. Who, before this, as you were correcting your paper, who got 100%? Steve Swartz. Steve, you're not, you're not Steve. <laughs> Michael Swartz. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> sorry, Mike. You're getting to look more and more like your dad every day. <laughs> okay, Michael got 100%. And Heather, can you verify that? Is that... Anybody else get it? Oh, uh, number two on the all-time name list, Patricia. And James Olweiler? No? Janice? Janice Jones got 100%. Way to go. I, I'm not surprised. As I was walking around, I saw that you were like way ahead of Floyd on answering the questions. And so, <laughs> Who missed one? Anybody miss one? Okay, there we go. Ben back there missed one. All right. Was that quiz fun? What was the hardest question? Oh, the Ethiopian woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's Cush? Yeah. I should have changed that to Ethiopian. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's pr- let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together today. Uh, we thank you for the life of Miriam, the example set for us, that her faith uh, in uh, waiting for so long, witnessing the deliverance of her brother as a baby, and then 80 years later, witnessing the deliverance of her people. Uh, good example for us in our own impatience and also our own failings when, just as Miriam failed, um, we in our own lives fail so often. And yet, uh, the Lord used her after that, and we thank you for that. Thank you again for our time, and thank you for the words that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.